This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got part two of our interview with the great and wonderful Taya Kyle. So, guys, if you have not listened to the last episode, you want to make sure that you go and do that because in this episode, we expand on a lot of the things that we talked about in the last episode. She kind of has more time to get into some detail. She even told some stories that she's never told before, which was incredible for me sitting here. I mean, she kept almost like asking me permission, like, hey, do you mind if I talk about this a little bit more? Do you mind if I go a little bit further in detail? And I'm sitting here in my studio like, yes, yes, like talk as much as you want. Say all the stories that you need to say. It was such an interesting conversation. For those of you who don't know who Taya Kyle is, maybe you missed the last episode. She's an author and a speaker, and she is also the widow of Chris Kyle. And you should know that name because he is the most prolific sniper in United States military history. He is the subject matter of the American. American Sniper movie, and he wrote the book American Sniper. Taya runs the Chris Kyle or the Taya and Chris Kyle Foundation. She has two books that have been released, and they've done really well. Uh, she's released a men's and women's jewelry line, which we talk about on this episode. But guys, I just got to tell you, if you thought some of the interesting points of last episode were, were important and you know noteworthy. With this episode, I think it goes much, much deeper because obviously we spend more time. You can see how long this interview goes in comparison to last week's episode. But I was just astonished at the amount of depth that we were able to get on some of these answers. And guys, I'm struck again by the answers that you would expect to get from a gold star wife, from a widow of a you know celebrated military hero, and just to hear her honesty. And her realness and her rawness in her answers. These have been two of my favorite episodes that I've done because I felt like she wasn't trying to put a message out there for anybody. And, And the way I mean that is like she wasn't trying to put up a front. Like, oh, you know, people are around, so I guess I'll act this way. I'll say this thing. No, she was real. She was raw. And when you do interviews sometimes, sometimes you can sense that the person's holding back a little bit, and sometimes they have to. You can't exactly say exactly what you want to say in all situations. You don't exactly know the host. You don't exactly know the audience, so you just go with things that are safe. I didn't feel like Taya really did that, and I appreciated that to an extreme degree. So without further ado, let's get into it. Taya Kyle, welcome back to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so excited about this. You're the first person to do a two-part interview, and for good reason, because we we did our first interview, and it was obvious that there was more that needed to be said, and I'm sure our audience would really appreciate it. So we we appreciate you making some more time for us. Oh, of course. It kind of makes me smile and laugh anyway, because there was a time when Chris was with one of our dear friends, uh, Bill Weyburn, who's a sheriff out in Tarrant County, and he answered the phone, and he said, yes, yep okay, love you, bye kind of thing, right? But it took a while. And so when he hung up the phone, he said to our friend Bill, he said, my wife, she's got a lot of words. <laughs> so you've experienced that firsthand now. I have experienced it, but this is a good thing because we like words because this is a podcast. We need words. Otherwise, it's just dead air and none of us get to have fun. But um, if 
we go back to our first conversation. We, we kind of had to just rush past it because we needed to talk about some other things. But you did make mention of how, you know, things obviously got harder after Chris passed. And it wasn't just because Chris passed. Uh, you didn't really have a lot of time to, to mourn uh, your, your husband and, and you had to be a mom and you had to kind of help with business. There was a lot of things that you had to deal with, but then there was everything else. There was, you know, a lawsuit from a former pro wrestler. There was, you know, uh, people questioning Chris's, uh, stories and questioning his record and, and all these different things. So I just wanted to kind of give you a, a little bit of latitude here to kind of describe what the, the weeks and years, even after Chris passed, you know, what was that like for you and how were you able to kind of work your way through that and feel free to get as detailed as you want. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing to look back on it now. It almost feels like a different, a different life in some ways, but not. So I think it's like a lot of things you look back on. I still have the emotion that I can pull up. And when I look at the, the details of it, I think, wow, I, I, it's, I have a, my heart breaks for that woman, me. Right. But if, but when I look back, I go, Whoa, right. Like I, I feel bad for that version of myself that, um, like, I think we can all do that. The younger version of ourselves. And, you know, for me, it was, uh, I, I had some friends who, you know, smoked cigarettes. Right. And so I, and I had done it before, but there was something that I, I, when I look back, I see myself chain smoking in the backyard, hiding from the kids and as I went through grief and a couple of years of it, didn't make me feel good. I didn't like it, but I realized that my throat and my chest kind of close up as a response to massive stress. And so for me, it was a way of like just forcing myself to you know breathe in, breathe out kind of thing. And I didn't realize that at the time, but I also think it was a distraction from whatever I was doing, it forced me to go outside. And, uh, it was something I do with my hands and, you know, just, just a lot of things. And I was so low on sleep. So I'm sure the nicotine, you know, helped me stay awake. There was just all of that stuff, but that's not my personality on a normal time. I, you know, some people have that personality where if they eat, they're going to eat a ton. If they drink, they're going to drink a ton. You know, it's just not usually me. So for me, that was noteworthy. Um, and there, and the other thing was just crying, not trying to cry, crying, not trying not to cry actually, but the tears would come of course every day at certain points while I was in the middle of other things running around, or I would pause for a second, but it, it was without me letting it happen. And the times when I would think, okay, I have a minute here. I could just let them come. I wouldn't because I would start to like, I could feel myself starting to throw up and so it was, the pain was almost so intense that I, I was going to throw up. And so I, I got some anti-nausea medication from a friend of mine because I would start dry heaving and, um, and stuff like that. So there were those things because, as you said, it was grief and it was my kid's grief. There were business issues with my husband's business that were not right. He was upset about it. He found out a couple of weeks before he died he was pissed. And, and so I was trying to fight that battle. You're right. The former wrestler had a, a a lawsuit against my husband. He kept it going against the kids and me. Those things were immediate and pressing. The rough draft to the movie was turned in the day before he was killed and they wanted to ramp up the timing on that and make sure to get it right. So there were just tons of hours working with the the screenwriter. Uh, A lot of times, 
you know, 11 and 12 at night. He was on the West Coast and his wife, bless her heart, was very sweet to let us do that. So I spent the time working with the screenwriter and then we had, uh, Chris was working on another book called American Gun and I wanted to finish that for him. And then we had the memorial edition of American Sniper that year as well. So trying to do all of those things while in shock, uh, you know, some of it, I suppose the adrenaline was helpful. That adrenaline that can come from shock. The the kids being my first priority meant a lot of the work was done in spurts and at night after they went to sleep. But, you know, they didn't want to sleep alone either. And so I would lay down with them in our bed and wait till they fell asleep. And then I would oftentimes get up and, um, and go back to work. But when they would wake up and find me not there, they would come in and they'd be sad, you know, mama, you left. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, I just had to do this or that. So when I would get back in bed and fall asleep, both of them were traumatized because they were very close to their dad and they would have fitful dreams and sleep. And so they would basically be, um, sort of their, their limbs would be flailing. And I got punched almost every night in the face and the chest, you know, uh, while they're in their sleep, not a full on punch. Right. But their, their arm is coming over and it lands on you with some force as they're kind of, uh, adjusting. And, uh, you know, it just, it was just so much at once and the kindness of people, there were letters pouring in and, you know, flowers and notes. And so I, I asked somebody to help me. We made some cards that would say what I thought and felt with a picture of the family and a thank you. And then somebody else would address envelopes and get back because I was so at the same time, just grateful for all of that love and thoughtfulness that went into that. And I didn't want to not respond, but I, there was no way, as I told you with everything else that, that I could. And one of the, the business lawsuit, um, we had taken out a loan much like you would a mortgage from one of those guys. And so that ended up being a little bit of a pawn in the chess game of the lawsuit. And there were things that were not right about it. Uh, uh, I mean, just in addition to the business going not right, there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of shenanigans for us, you know, for lack of a better word. And the house was a little bit of that. And so, with all of that and not knowing how it all would go, uh, spending a lot of money on lawyers. Uh, the book was still selling, but we wanted to start a foundation with the money from the book. So I was starting that and fighting these other battles and thinking I might not be able to stay in my house and wondering how we would make it. And so I had, you know, bills and money and things sort of like piling up because I just, the details were the harder part to take care of. So I would have friends come in and just stop by and say, what can I do for a little bit? And and I would say, here's my credit card, pay for this. You know, could you do this, that one of the people uh, who I didn't know very well, long story short, but you're a target when you're, when you're that raw, you are a target for sociopaths, for con men, right. For, for, people to really take advantage of you. And that wasn't a situation I had been in before that, that I know of. And so somebody took advantage of that and, um, you know, we ended up pressing charges 
and then there were this there were these let's just without knowing how much I can or can't say or, or should or shouldn't say right but there were things that were um they would make movies out of if I would you know I kept going this cannot be real life where people are that crooked and that motivated right to not be seen that way because all of a sudden Chris is beloved so their motivation to cover it up is heightened because now they wouldn't just be doing something wrong to somebody in the community or a guy who died now it would be like career ending for them right right so i think the level of those things along with the love and support and kindness of people it was it was like everything was just on high volume and yeah my son had a a way of dealing with it more like mine he would just play all the time and um it was, it was video games if nobody was there, but it was, can I have friends over? Can I do this? Can I do that? And my daughter got pretty sick and she was letting herself feel. So that was a, an interesting dynamic because she also at that young age, and we didn't figure this out until years later, but there was something in her that she was protecting my son, who's a little bit older. He's a year and a half older and they've always been super tight. So she felt protective of him because she could see he wasn't dealing with it. And he felt protective of me um, in the way that one is when I cry, it hurts his, it hurt like he feels pain. And so he also didn't want to cry in front of me as much because he didn't want to cause me pain. Sure. And he's, you know, nine, eight and a half. So we had these like really deep moving, just heart wrenching, gut wrenching conversations of, you know, it's okay to cry in these times because we raised our kids to be tough too, right? And so it was one of those things where if if this happened to you, your dad would be crying too. Like sometimes right. we have to cry and it just, it was just a mess, you know? Uh, but like I said, there were so many beautiful, or not but, and, they both exist. It was a mess and it was beautiful and it was just so much to try to make sense of it. It was just survival, I guess, in a lot of ways. Well, and the word that keeps coming to mind for me, Taya, is resilience. And, and we'll get more into kind of why that word's important to you a little bit later in this interview. But uh, that's what we talk about all the time on this podcast is cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And sometimes you can do that on your own. You know, you could take the easy trail or you could go on the hard trail. That's a way that you can do it. And other times, you know, life just hands you something or evil or Satan hands you something. And it's like, okay, it's either survive or don't. Um, and I guess the question I have, and I, I think I may have even mentioned this on the last episode, um, you, you talked about, um, Chris's murder. You talked about, you know, kind of your feelings towards him, but then you also spoke a little bit about how the initial idea was that he was just a troubled vet with PTSD, almost like he couldn't help himself to do something so evil, but whenever, but that's not really the, the way that it ended up. You know, you, you mentioned that that wasn't really who this guy was. He had some some other issues. But did that make it harder to deal with? Because this was a guy who didn't really have a crutch to, to lean on. And I'm not saying PTSD is a crutch because it is a, a real issue that people deal with. But for this guy in particular, did, did that make this whole process more difficult? Because every time you learn something about Eddie, you know, it, it got worse. You know, it's interesting because 
so much of of my learning process with Chris in the military and and just growing up in the world that we live in, you know, I thought, man, people really, there really is evil and people really will fall to it. And part of the evil that I saw to your point was just the, the brokenness of people and how susceptible they are to creating narratives that are what they want versus what's the truth. And that still continues to amaze me because I, you know, one of my friends was like, Tay, you're just a sort of a born truth seeker. And when she said that, I thought, well, isn't everybody? And, and she was a counselor and she said, no, right. Most people are not. Uh, and I, I look at that and I think, okay, so this family, we learned in the, in the murder trial that, you know, they would smoke weed together on their back porch from the time this kid was in high school and I don't think the dad would necessarily. I think the mom did. I found out later that, you know, from what I understand, he had some issues in school. He goes into the military and then he's, he was an armor in the military. He would hand out the guns, but he was never in a combat situation. He was on a ship once, I think, where he got off one time to get a payroll. But other than that, something like that was what my understanding was. He'd never that the psychiatrist on the prosecution and defense said he never had a traumatic event in his life inside or outside the military. So I look at that. And then when we were, so, so for me, I knew a lot of these things way before the trial. So when people would say, Oh, it's PTS. I wanted to scream it from the, from the rooftops. No, it's not right. This guy, I mean, he shot them both in a really gruesome, awful, I mean, it had to have been a little bit planned out, uh, if not well planned out in advance, because it was simultaneous or so close together, you know, multiple times on both. That means you had to have two guns at the ready. Chris had just finished shooting a, a Old West pistol. It wasn't like a fancy gun. It was a replica very relaxed. Both guys had their safeties on their pistols. Nobody would have seen it coming. Right. And, um, nor any anger or any instigation or anything like that. And that, you know, that we know of. And, and so we look at that and we think, okay, there's no insanity there either because insanity, you know, you would be sitting there having a cup of coffee when the police pulled up, not knowing what you did. He ran, he went to Taco Bell. He, you know, answered the phone and talked to some people, uh, went to his sisters and said he sold his soul for a truck planned to get his dog so that he could escape to Oklahoma. This is not a guy who was not functioning mentally. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so for them to be saying those things just pissed me off because people legitimately do have PTS and they don't need to be seen that way, that they're potential murderer. You know, uh, we learned in the trial that his mom apparently I think it was the fall, right? So a few months before he killed Chris and Chad had all the guns removed from their house because he threatened to kill himself and everyone else because his dad gave one of their guns to somebody else in the family and he wanted it as an heirloom. That was my understanding of the trial. And I was thinking, and yet my husband came, you were crying in the line when my kids were going to school or not crying, sorry, upset, asked if, no, she did. She had tears in her eyes. Uh, my husband goes back 
and asks you, does he like to shoot? Because he knows that that's been a really relaxing way for people to just kind of have something to do so you don't have to looking directly in each other's eyes while you bare your soul, right? right? And you're outside and it's something you share in common and it kind of lends itself to this, this let's do something kind of uh, atmosphere that's very healing and you're in nature and Chris purposely chose someone somewhere beautiful. Rough Creek Lodge is just this gorgeous place so that it would be really calming and nice. So he asked, does he like to shoot? And you don't say, Hey, listen, um, normally yes. But right now, you know, a couple months ago we had the situation at home. Is there something else you could do with him? I mean, right. It's just, there's the level of something different. Yes. I mean, Chris could have done a million things with him. So I look at this stuff and I think we're a product of our upbringing. You know, it's just my opinion that she enabled this kid to, you know, to use excuses his whole life. And she was going to do the same thing to get whatever they wanted. I don't know if she wanted her son connected with somebody that had this newfound fame in the local town. I don't know. All I know is he said he could get out of parking or uh, speeding tickets by claiming PTS. He figured he couldn't get a job in the world owed him because he served in the military and had PTS. So then his mom's friend gives him a job. Right. Well, he can't work that hard because sometimes he'll stare off into space sometimes, but you have to excuse him because he has PTS. So he does this. And even when he'd have a speeding ticket, if the police then would take him to a mental health place because he says he's suffering from PTS or whatever, because of HIPAA laws, they can't tell the police when they release him saying something other than psychosis, meaning usually that's what they write for drug use. Like it's not a mental issue that, you know, right. but they, because of HIPAA laws, they can't tell the police that. <clears throat> so he just starts to, in my opinion, feel in- invincible, right? Like he's got an excuse for everything. And when, when you look at the tapes they played back at the murder trial, <clears throat> they would show he, he was not aware it looked it looked like he was not aware that there was a camera somewhere inside the vehicle so when police would come up to the door and he figured there were cameras he would start acting goofy right and then when they would walk away it's like he'd just get real chill in the seat and like look at the ceiling like ugh, right right so this is a a manipulative in my opinion (laughs) a manipulative person who i can say is a child of god who started out however he started in life, but the enabling, the excuses, in my opinion, again, maybe it's not just that, right? Maybe there are other things, but I think that can't have helped because the more he got away with it, in my opinion, the more immune he gets to consequences. Well, and the damage that he does to people that are actually struggling, that actually have issues that that, that they need to get past. I mean, it, it's it's a horrible thing because now he's he's categorically somebody that used it to take advantage of other people, which is going to invariably hurt people that really are struggling. 100%. And that's, that's a thing. I've said it in so many of my talks, and I try to make a point of at least mentioning it because people who legitimately have PTS need to not be afraid to say, hey, listen, I'm going through something, and it's not right. going to last forever. And there is help. And I'm not crazy. You know, it, I just need some tools to help, to help get out of this. And, uh, you know, he actually held his gun, his uh, girlfriend at, at um, put a sword to her throat the week before too, but she didn't press charges. Uh, and that's a whole other story. But again, somebody doesn't want to give this person a consequence. And I think we're in danger a little bit 
or maybe a lot in society, of being sort of afraid of consequences instead of, no, there's a consequence. There's compassion and we need to have that. And there's a consequence. You can love someone and give them a consequence. Why is that so hard to connect? Right. And I think that that's kind of a tough thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll move on past that subject matter. But I, I think you gave a lot of context there for, for guys that you're not going to get that in, in any book. And you're, you know, most people weren't paying attention that closely to the trial, but it is, it is rather unfortunate. You know, as a guy sitting on the sidelines, it's almost like, I kind of wish the dude was nuts. Like that would almost mm-hmm. make it more, it would almost make it make more sense. It's not going to take away the pain. It's not going to take away the hurt, but it's going to decrease the amount of confusion. But again, before I ask another follow-up, we, we got some other stuff to cover. And so we're going to take a, a slight detour to a very happy subject. And that's something- okay, Kyle, that can I finish? Work. Can I let you on one more thing? So yeah, he was he was a, a drug user. And I think that's the other thing that people need to know. Like that stuff will jack you up, right? And and we can act like the drugs aren't that bad and whatever, but he did do that. And I think that's important also to realize. And, and the last thing I'll say on it is just even after the trial, you know, Dr. Phil has him on his show, has the mom on the show talking about how her son has PTS. And I'm thinking, do your research, bro. Right. Like, you know, it just pissed me off because again, it continued this narrative that wasn't true. And once it's out there and people have said it over and over and over, we can't get it out of our heads. So it doesn't matter if I, I mean, it does matter to some people when I say it and I hope your listeners will correct people, but it's so out there that, you know, that, that stigma of PTS is kind of a done deal. And I think that's kind of how our society's rolling too, but yes, happier subject. Well, and just even to put a bow on that, like that's a common media trick to where it's like, okay, we're going to put out this thing that is 25% true Mm -hmm. and then it'll go across the world and then we'll have to, you know, issue a correction, but that's like a week later and only like 10% of the people will actually see the correction. So it's like, once the narrative gets out, it's hard to bottle it back up. So uh, I completely understand that, but there is a project that you've been working on and that is uh, come to fruition. And that uh, really is something for you that kind of embodies the warrior spirit that Chris displayed, but also what you and your family have had to display uh, since he passed away. And that's the warrior collections jewelry uh, that have just been released here fairly recently. And from the website, I want to read kind of the mission of what this is and have you talk about a little bit further. But the mission of this line is to awaken the warrior spirit in all people. We aren't just living a life. We are here on mission to make a difference for God. Our life story is our mission lived out on earth. It's time to awaken the warrior within you. And this is a line that's for men and for women, but I'll kind of, uh, I'm not much of a jewelry guy, so I don't really know what best question to ask aside from, you know, why, why go this route and why produce this type of a product for us? Yeah. So thank you for asking that because it really is for a guy like you, who's not really a jewelry guy. And that was, okay. All right. yeah. So because really I'm, I'm with you, you know, there's not a, a ton of jewelry that, I think looks really sharp on men. There are some pieces that look cool. And I was thinking, what do you wear to show like who you are that is cool and edgy and badass and still something you can wear, right? Right. And so, you know, my son was the one who inspired me and Chris with his dog tags, I would carry them around sometimes for that added tangible strength. My son decided he wanted a cross and he wanted a big one. He doesn't wear any jewelry. He's not flashy. He's just, you know, clean cut, super short hair, but he's, you know, he's an athlete, a football player, a, uh, you know, he leads some Bible studies at our house. He's just an all around, all American guy that people just 
don't mess with because he's a straight shooter and, and kind, right? He's got all of these things. And so I think his straightforwardness uh, is, is, his boldness is cool. Well, he says to me at one time that he wants just a, like a, a masculine chain kind of long with like a big cross. And I was thinking, wow, okay, that kind of surprised me. And he's, I said, why is that? And he said, because this is, this is who I am and I want to be bold in showing it like this, you know, and I, I went, yeah, that's really cool. So our first and he, to me, made it look really you know, just badass and cool. And his other guy friends who were the same, they started wearing these. So we made our first one was dog tags. So it's a dog tag that has like a texture to it. It's Montana silversmith. The logo is a, a, a backward B forward E in the middle where they connect as a cross that comes down in the tip of a sword. Because, you know, for, for me, it's, there's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the middle is our life. And the sword represents like, you're a warrior, you're a badass in this life. So like, you know, you can show that in a way that maybe isn't the big cross, but is still, you know, you're, it, it opens a conversation too. people ask about it and you get to say your faith. And so that's where it started was that tag. And those are, uh, those have been a really good seller. They're also really nice, solid silvers. So they're not super cheap, but they, are an investment, right? They're, they're kind of an heirloom piece. So a lot of the guys I've noticed are, are getting those women can wear them too on longer chains or whatever, but they're definitely the pieces have more of a masculine feel to it. And we'll do some super feminine stuff uh, later. And, and with, we're working with um, JTV for jewelry TV for some of that stuff. But this one that we sell on our website, they all have a sentimental part to them and they're all supposed to be these tangible reminders of, you know, who you are, whose you are. And, and it's like a bold way to display it. So you can tell I'm super in love with it, but you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a, I guess a leap of faith even to do it. Yeah. It sounds like a labor of love and then it's, it's worked out on the back end. And I got to be honest, um, I, I, I'm going to have the link for you guys so you can check this out for yourselves and for your ladies. But I was having a conversation yesterday. This is how small the world is that we live in. I'm having a conversation with a guy who helped me, you know, schedule an interview with some people on another podcast, you know, that kind of thing. And I just mentioned in passing that you and I were going to be having this conversation today. And he goes, Kyle, you're not going to believe this, but I'm wearing a legend forged Chris Kyle hoodie right now. And I'm wearing that dog tag chain. Like he was, he was sitting there wearing, I didn't know this guy. I'd yeah. never talked to him before. And he's just like, you know, if you, if you talk to Taya tomorrow and you, you remember it, just tell her that, you know, her, her husband's a hero of mine and that that's always going to stick with me. But that's kind of the small world. Cause this guy, from all I can gather, he's a tough dude. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a forged legend Chris Kyle wearing type of dude, right? Like that's a type yes. of guy, but he also had the chain. So, so there, there's your little commercial that you weren't expecting for, <laughs> no, for the jewelry, so cool. but guys, yeah. you will have that there uh, in the links in the show notes. So you can check that out, but I would, I'm going to get killed by all my friends if we don't get into kind of talking about your books, but also the American sniper movie. So one of the things about biopics that is fairly common, unfortunately, is that they tend to kind of miss the mark or disappoint people whose lives are being portrayed in the film. And so from my perspective, not knowing Chris, not knowing you, I thought it hit the mark because I left the movie thinking that was a great movie, right? You know, I'm wiping tears away at, at the, you know, as the credits mm -hmm. are rolling type of a thing. But from your perspective, and you can kind of describe the process, do you feel like Clint, Clint Eastwood and the team, the, you know, hit the mark? And, you know, what was the process of getting the film made like for you, especially considering it was released after Chris's murder? As you mentioned, the rough draft came in the day before, you know, kind of what was all that like? 
Yeah, it was really, it was, you know, a different kind of experience. And when we went in, so I didn't go on set at all. And we didn't talk about that last time, did we? Nope. No, we did not. Yeah. So my understanding is it's a little bit difficult to sort of embody the real characters and then have the actual real character in front of you. It sort of takes you out of your headspace of becoming that person. And so I respectfully didn't go and they, uh, Bradley called and said, would you, you know, would you like to come for the last day of shooting? We'd really love to have you there. And it'd be like a nice way to close it up. And I said, well, you know, when is it? And when he told me the date, I was like, you know, I can't, my, my son has, the second grade spelling bee and he he won his class which means he's in the competition for the grade and you know so yeah and they were like uh um, you know <laughs> okay. like uh, okay but you know i i think death does that to you too where you're like i'm not gonna miss anything that that i have the opportunity to be there for with my kids and he ended up winning the grade spelling bee thank you very much it's amazing yeah Yeah. so super fun right that's a memory i can't get back and i know i can't be on the american sniper movie set again but you know bradley was nice enough to let us go to another um set when they were filming a star is born and you know but you know so it just i was involved in the writing i was looking forward to seeing the movie, but I wanted to make sure it was all about Chris, you know, that they had him right. Because as you said, a lot of movies don't get the character exactly right, but that person is still alive so they can represent themselves. For me, it was so important that they got Chris right because he's not here. And this is, this is going to be how some people know him. And furthermore, as I told Jason, the screenwriter, I said, you know, this could be a big deal in the way that my kids remember their dad. And that, I guess, really struck a chord with them and and certainly did with Bradley in a way that I didn't necessarily intend, but I was just, I think they, after that, they started to, they were going to put everything into it anyway. I just think they, they felt a little bit of a gravitas there because the kids were so young, you know, they were uh, almost seven and nine when he was killed. And so, In that regard, I loved that they were so careful and the props people from Warner Brothers called me and said, what kind of watch did he wear? What did he drive? Things that normally you don't do in a movie because it's irrelevant. It doesn't change that for for the viewer. But they did it as a gift to us, which I thought was just so incredibly touching and kind and wonderful. So in all of those ways, I felt like they did a great job with Chris and his personality they did a great job and at first they weren't going to do an accent, but I was like, you know, his Texas accent was just, That's him. He's yes. Texas, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just couldn't do it without, like you couldn't play him without a ball cap either. You know, it was like he wore it every day. And so they took that into account and, and kudos to Bradley because that is really dangerous for an actor because if you don't nail it, Oh, yeah. Everybody's just concentrating on the fact that you didn't nail the accent. It totally takes away from the story. So he did a great job there. He legitimately did the protein shakes and the weights that he were lifting were real weights. The gun that he had was a real gun. He trained with real guns. And that might sound obvious to your or your listeners, but that's not 
as common. A lot of times they say, oh, I don't want to carry it. Is there like a plastic, you know, one that's yeah. lighter weight or, but he went out and shot him and he was hitting face plates at like 600 yards. He, I have respect for that. And I think all of those things, in addition to him really being open to feeling the spirit of Chris, were just extraordinary. So there's a part in the trailer and the movie where he, you know, Bradley's on the gun and he says he stepped off mm-hmm. and right. Right. it's this terrorist that stepped off. And I asked Bradley a few things later. I said, Hey, that there are a couple of moments. Did you know that you did this? And he goes, Oh my gosh, Taya, that wasn't even a line in the script. It just like came on me and I just said it. And I was like, yep, I get it. And there are a few things like when he, you know, in poker, you have a tell, there were a few things Chris did, like he had a kind of a sniff that like, you know, with his nose, just a, and it was in an intense situation or the way that he would work the the tobacco. And, you know, Bradley did his research and he did those things so much so that even friends of Chris's were like, he did that thing, like where he, you know, kind of had a a sniff here or, or whatever. And I thought you can't get any better than that for a movie about somebody you love. And, and so I, I, that it just doesn't get any better. Um, the other side of it, though, is everybody who knew him and loved him would say, man, but Chris was always pulling pranks and he was always laughing and he just had this youthful way about him. And I was like, I know, I know, I get it. It would have been amazing, but you can't fit it in the movie. It wouldn't make sense. And so I think for me, that means they did a great job with the movie. They couldn't have done it. It just, you know, the movie was already long. And you would have missed something in the storyline. Right. The other part of that is, so there's a scene where uh, they're at the doctor's office and Chris says to Taya, Bradley says to Sienna, however, it's weird to talk about it that right, way, but right. he says to her, you know, you kind of sold me out back there to the doctor. And that's not what happened, but here's, and so for me, I might go, Oh, I don't want people to think that I, I would never do that to him. But the reason it's okay is because the real story, and I'll let you tell me if I should tell it, cause I don't want to take too much of your time, but they, the real story unfolded over a series of a few things. And that would not have benefited this, the movie to go through it that way. It would have taken up too much time, but you needed to know that she was the one that helped him get oh no taya you you need to tell the real story i mean if you're gonna be here like okay. you know going through it i mean you go for it okay okay so you know the real thing was this and i think it's all divine intervention but you know we went to a um i've never told this story by the way in a, a podcast or interview or anything else so but i'm feeling moved to do it so i will so good. yeah there's a we went to this acupuncturist. There was a doctor who was Eastern and Western medicine. My son and I have really bad allergies. You know, he's kind of outgrown his and oddly I I seem to have for the most part as well, but at the time we did, and I was, I was desperate to find something other than the shots because when we moved to Texas, uh, the, the things in the air were more foreign to us. So our allergies were increased. So anyway, we ended up at this doctor through a series of things and it's not my natural thing to do, but I went there, she tested us and I said, Hey babe, you're, it's in Dallas. It's not that far from your office. Would you just come by and just also see if you're allergic to anything? Which of course he always said he wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> so of I'd, course. I'd call it his non allergies would be making him you know, cough or whatever. But, um, so we went, there was these glass vials and, and what she would do is she'd put the vial in 
and say, put it in your hand, wrap a fist around it. And then I want you to push up, you know, like your arms at a right angle, like you're doing a bicep curl. And she's this little Asian woman. She said, I'll push down with my finger, but you push up. So I'm watching Chris go, this is crazy, right? And so he's like, all right, I see his muscles flexing and her one finger, he could not lift up against it. His arm was going down. And so that you can imagine was like, what in the heck is in that vial, right? Right. right. And so at the end, we just kind of let her do it and watched at the end. She said, okay, so your body is not, it's not processing serotonin, norepinephrine or dopamine. And he's like, okay. And we walked outside and, and I happen to have worked, this is why I say, I think it's all divinely orchestrated. I happen to have worked in pharmaceutical sales and we sold antidepressants, anti-anxiety, which all deal with serotonin, norepinephrine and dopamine. So I, I was no stranger to that stuff. So we went out to the parking lot. I can see it in my mind's eye now. And I, and he was standing there cause we were going to hug and he was going to go back to work and I was going to go back to our town. And I was like, babe, so those are all the chemicals that make a person happy. And when you're in fight or flight for a prolonged period of time, your body wants to be the most efficient it can possibly be. So if it's in survival mode, your body basically just goes, hey, shut down the serotonin, norepinephrine, right, and dopamine. Right. We don't need to be happy. We need to live. And then cortisol changes, testosterone changes, all of these things. You get adrenal fatigue, and but you can't measure it. You know, you can't get a CAT scan or an MRI to see these things, which is the part that I think screws with people's heads because they think, I'm not any of those things. I'll just think my way out of it. I just need to do this, right? Well, he worked out. He did everything. He was mentally strong. And so I said, so basically, your body just stopped making it. There's nothing you can do about this. You know, maybe think about it. And if you want to, like, talk to somebody or see a doctor, you know, I'm we can, I'm happy to set it up. And so he was like, all right, okay, I'll think about it. And so he came home and he was like, yeah, I, th I think that's, that's probably a good idea. It's not easy. I've been in his shoes. I hate it. I hate calling the doctor's office and they say, what's wrong with you? What do you need an appointment for? It's utter crap because you feel so vulnerable and it's just, it's brutal. And then you go to the doctor's office and then the nurse is like, so what are you here for? So what do you this? And you have to repeat and repeat and repeat something that right. you don't want to have to deal with because you've tried everything and you don't believe you can't get over it yourself. Right. And so because I had known that and I had been there, I, I asked him, I said, okay, do you want to call and make the appointment or, you know, do you want me to? And he was like, if you could, that'd be good. And I was like, all right. Then on the way there, I said, okay, so do you want me to wait in the waiting room? Do you want me to go with you? And he's like, no, come in. And I said, do you want to do the talking? Do you want me yeah. to? He goes, how about if, I'll, I'll talk, but if I, if I get to a place where I don't want to, I'll just nod and you take it from there. And I said, okay. So we went in the, the room and the doctor was like, so, you know, what are we here for? And he just looked at me and he gave me the nod. Yeah. Like, right away. You know? Yeah. Because it sucks to do that stuff, you know? And, and, um, and so anyway, you know, he was able to get something and most, um, you know, all the old school antidepressants like Prozac and all of that, to me, they just make you feel nothing. And I, that's just my opinion and what I've heard from other people taking them. So, which is what the VA usually prescribes. So that's what pisses me off is they're not actually looking to get people back to normal. They're just trying to get them to like not feel anything and go away, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> um, so we went to, you know, a, a doctor with our insurance and not the VA and all of that. So um, 
you know, he would take it and you have to take it once a day. And there'd be times where I'd be like, Hey, could you maybe not take it today? And he'd be like, you know, you can tell. And I'm like, yeah, I hate that. You know, I hate that. But the truth is you have to take it every day. You feel better. You don't want to take it anymore. Right. And it's, it's totally normal. But I say all of this, and like I said, I've never said this in an interview or podcast because I'm super protective of Chris, And I, but I feel led by the Holy Spirit right now, and I don't know if it's because one of your listeners might need it or might know someone who needs it, um, but like I said, I, I don't necessarily need to broadcast it everywhere else other than your, your uh, listeners, but if it helps somebody, I think that Chris would want me to, to share that. And so back to your point about the movie, that's that's in the movie. They're like, you kind of sold me out back there. I was like, ah, I didn't do that. But at the same time, right. But at the same time, who cares if I did or I didn't, the point is he got the help and that's what you needed to show in the movie. And it wasn't about me. It was about Chris. So, um, in that way, those things might be different than real life, but real life is in it. You know what I'm saying? Like they're representing something that did happen in real life. They're just doing it in a way that they can do in the movie. So chronologically and certain details like that, you know, it, might be a little different. And of course you can never tell a whole life in a movie, but I, I feel like they did an incredible job. Well, that's great to hear. And and obviously they do have to keep the narrative going, but I really appreciate you, you telling us that story. There is some, there's going to be something divine that comes from that. And for any of you guys that have listened to that story and that describes you, um, feel free to email us here, info at undaunted.life. That's just I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. I have a lot of different uh, resources that, that can help, especially veterans. And so obviously, Taya, I know you'd be down to help and we have some mutual friends that would be down to help as well. So please do not hesitate. Just shoot me a quick email and we'll see what we can do to help you out. But I do want to transition to talking. Hey, Kyle. A bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Every go for time it. you want to transition, I have like something else. Remember, my wife oh, has a lot it. of words. Okay, I just wanted to say this too, because for anybody who's listening, for me, I've had to take them before and I always felt like, am I doing something fake or whatever? And it's those medications, they just, they cross the blood brain barrier and they basically tell your body to make it. They're just telling your body to make something that it stopped making for your own benefit back when you needed to survive. So I just wanted to let people know, it's like, you're tough. Your body's still making it. It just needs a, it's basically, you know, a pill to go like knock on the door of the body and be like, Hey bro. Can you make it again? Because right. you know, we're going to need this. And then you do it for a while. And then, you know, you may not have to take it the rest of your life. Um, and then the second thing is, that's why our foundation works for marriages. And serve, and because 80% of service suicides are relationship related. And when you think of that, it totally makes sense with the example I just gave you. It is so hard to get the right help. A, if you're having a hard time finding the unique treatment that will work for you, it seems too hard. You don't want to deal with it. It sometimes feels like shit to go and talk to people about it. So when you're married and the relationship is strong, you have somebody else to do what Chris and I did, right? You have somebody to be like, oh, babe, I'm, you know, like, hey, do you want to make sure you took sure, it? Or, right. or what can I do? How can I help? How can I best serve you? That makes all the difference. And so that's why uh, our our foundation is, is based on marriage because you you know, it's hard to do alone. So for anybody listening, if you're not married or your marriage isn't good, find a buddy, you know, whoever it is, but you don't have to go and get the, 
the help on your own either. And the first doctor might suck. Just keep trying. Okay, now I'm done. No, that that's great. And and you even mentioned something. Uh, there was a, a man that's very close to me in my life that you know was on medication for a while, and then he got to the point where he's like, okay, well, I know how the medication makes me feel, so I can just do that on my own now. And at at the time in his life, he wasn't capable of doing that, and it didn't have great a great ending to that story. So yeah. obviously, we would rather you guys have good endings. And so yeah. uh, for us, uh, I do want to make sure that we talk about your books as well because that's been a big part of the Taya Kyle story. So you have American Wife. Love, War, Faith, and Renewal, which is your memoir. And then you have American Spirit, which is Profiles in Resilience, Courage, and Faith. And we'll talk about that one here in a second. But with American Wife, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but there's been a lot of words that have been used to describe your memoir. And I mean, gritty, romantic, bittersweet, gut-wrenching, inspirational, faithful. I mean, there's there's so many different words and they're all they're kind of all over the map. They don't stay in one lane. Um, and those words have honestly described your life in a lot of ways, especially uh, since Chris passed. But what was the process of getting your life story with, you know, with all the goods and the bads down on paper for, you know, the world to read? Yeah, you know, that actually is a great question. It, is, it was a different type of thing and I'll tell you why. I also... You know, if any of your listeners want to get it, I did do the audio version. So I'm a big oh, audiobook person, you know, on the tractor, driving, whatever. Uh, that's what I do my audiobooks. But I also think sometimes guys don't want to get it because it says American wife, but it's not meant just for women. It's like, right, right. Just, okay. So um, that process was interesting because I can't remember when we started. I think it was a year or two in and after Chris had passed and uh, our friend Jim DeFelice, who did American Sniper, was like, hey, Taya, you know, we should probably kind of get started on yours. And I'm like, I don't know. And and then the the publisher was like, man, the movie's going to come out. We should probably get it done. And I finally just called them both and was like sobbing, like, I can't. I cannot do this right now. There's no way. Because I told you already all the things that were going on right. uh, in the first year. They, those things continued for a year or two, if not more. So... <clears throat> I felt really, you know, just run down. And, and so Jim, uh, De Felice, he said, Taya, if you just, you just talk to me and I'll take care of the rest. And so I like emotionally vomited on the man <laughs> for right. months, you know, and it was one of those like pacing back and forth in the yard, chain smoking cigarettes and talking. And, and sometimes it'd be an hour or two into the conversation and he'd be like, Hey, Taya, as your friend, this is good stuff, but I, I'm going to stop you here because it's, it's too much. Like, right. because I'm, it, it was gut wrenching, you know, and, uh, and just the memories of the good things were hard. So, I mean, there are times, hopefully readers are laughing with the book and there's some, some relief and there's good stuff. But for me, even the good stuff made me cry because it was good and it was gone. And so, um, it was a, it was a tough one to do, but I'm really glad that it's done. I was, I would have liked to have maybe written it myself, but it still wouldn't be done if I had tried to do that because I tend to always put more on my plate. And Jim sure. is a phenomenal writer and it is me. And it, you know, so it's, it's all good. I, I was glad that they pushed me, I think in the end to, to try to get it out. When you got the story out there for people to attach themselves to, and again, uh, that's the thing I would want to reiterate from what you said. This is not just a, a book for military wives, right? right. And so uh, obviously I think the name, you went, you know, American Sniper, American Wife, it, it all makes sense in terms of, you know, the branding of it all. Yeah. But it does give people a different side of the story because you hear the side of the story from the movie, you hear the side of the story from Chris's memoir, but you can also see it from your side. So from, uh, from a very kind of macro perspective, you're seeing all sides of the same issue, 
which is giving you better context and giving you a better idea as to what really went on. You know what I mean? Totally. And I think there's so much that resonates for, for people in all different walks of life because we all struggle. It's not like, you know, our story was just, uh, you know, oh, we all struggle. So yes, we had this story. This was our story. But in many ways, I hope, and what I've heard is it's many people's story. And that's the only real value to doing these is if it helps somebody else, right? So if they, if it helps other people to know, A, they're not alone, B, it gets better, you know, and uh, I don't know what C is. I should have started with one and two. That's okay. <laughs> that works out really well. But the thing yeah. about it is, is it attaches to something you said in our first talk, Tay, and that was basically you have people that, you know, as soon as you become uh, the focal point of a best-selling book or of a movie, all of a sudden you're not normal. But mm-hmm. you were you were just like from the very top, like Chris and I were just normal people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was just a Texan. He was just a normal guy. Like, and that was the thing for, for a lot of these people is when they read his book, when they read your book, it's like, okay, these are just people. Like mm-hmm. these are, these are my people. And and I think that actually segues nicely into the next book that you wrote called American Spirit Profiles in Resilience, Courage, and Faith. And so this book profiles, you know, around 30 folks. And those are folks that, and I'll read from the description now, that embody the American spirit of resilience, faith, and togetherness that has built the nation. And obviously we talk about cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience all the time. But what was the idea or the goal for you behind writing another book, but this one, profiling other great Americans? Well, you know, I was traveling the country working and people would be telling me their stories and I just was so moved by them. I was so encouraged by them. And I thought there's a lot of grit in this country. There are a lot of people who, you know, their name is not in lights and they're changing the world and they've gone through hardship and they've turned it into something incredible. And so I just kept feeling like, I can't just keep this to myself. Like it almost felt selfish to keep it to myself. And, and so I was talking to the publisher and I'm like, look, I know that good news doesn't sell. I realize that, but if this, you know, but if this can help even one person, you know, I, I, I want to get this out there and, and you know, it, it, it's, it has done good. And I have heard from people and there's been a couple that it, it have impacted greatly. So that's, that's good enough for me. Um, the professional side of me and the business side of me is like, man, I wish it would have just like flown off the shelves, but, but I knew it wouldn't going in. I knew that it would be for people who either are inspired by the same, who want to be encouraged that this country is not as bad as we think it is. And who maybe want ideas too. Like they're, there are people doing wild Mustangs in Montana for veterans. Um, they're training them and, and it's just such a cool story. This Navy still started out there to a guy in San Diego who's solving the homeless problem by retraining these people, like giving them two years to live there and work and not just like a meal, but you know, this, this whole new life, but it takes time and it takes the private sector. And for me, it's like, why is every city in the country not following this model? Like this works. Why do we want to just put a bandaid on it when we can give people their lives back? So I hope more and more people will just do it for an awareness perspective that there are ways that we can do better in this country that are not dependent on the government. Well, I know that 
good news doesn't sell and if it bleeds it leads but it's it's a book like that that is refreshing and they're they're kind of in bite-sized chunks so you can take down a story at a time you know read a story a day type of thing totally but it's those inspiring moments like just the other day i i re-watched gladiator my favorite movie and just a week or two ago i re-watched american sniper and you leave that movie with a sense of duty a sense of direction and like in a sense of inspiration even regardless of how you know both of those movies you know you have the main character that passes away but at the same time you're, you're finding something positive even in a situation that seems dire and the same thing with what you described for that guy on san diego like those are situations that are tough for a lot of people to deal with but they're getting in there trying to make a difference and change things up so i really appreciate that that you put that book out there but as we wind down to the end of our chat for today i like to do something with a lot of our guests Yes, and it is kind of a lightning round of questions. It's oh. called, what would you say to someone that said? And so Ooh. I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to finish the sentence. But here's the thing, Taya, you have 30 seconds max, regardless of what you want to say about it. You have 30 seconds to give us the meat and potatoes about what you think about that issue. So are you up for it? Yeah, it's just going to be one question or multiple. I'm going to ask you multiple questions. What would you say to someone that said, and we're just going to go like one right after the other. And, and all the questions fit within 30 seconds or every yep. answer. Okay, got it. Every, okay. You get 30 <laughs> seconds per question. All right. Not, you know, you don't get like, you know, four seconds per question. You get 30 seconds okay. and that's it for each question. You with it? I'm with it. All right, here we go. What would you say to someone that said the U.S. government isn't doing enough for veterans and gold star families? I would say the healthcare is the main issue and we need to get uh, private healthcare, just provide them insurance and let them get their own healthcare somewhere else. And then I think that'd be a far cry uh, from what we have and it would help. All right. Next question here. What would you say to someone that said, I don't want my children to go into the military? I understand. And I think the biggest type of courage we can have as parents is to know that God is their ultimate parent and that God will guide them and lead them. So teach them how to pray, teach them how to listen to God, how to find that when God's talking, it's peaceful. There's no fear. There's no confusion. And if God's leading them, I think that our job as parents is to support and help prepare them for wherever God is leading. See, you're doing a great job. I didn't even have to really <laughs> prep you for it here. Let's keep going. Okay. What would you say to someone that said the United States should have never gotten involved in Iraq or Afghanistan? I totally understand that. And I think when you see destruction, it's hard not to think we shouldn't have done it. The problem is, I believe it's a cancer there with terrorism. It's not about one country or another. It's terrorists across the board. It's like a cancer. And we can't get rid of the cancer entirely, but we have to keep cutting it back or it grows. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said the United States is going in the wrong direction as a country? I think it's interesting because I think uh, people on all sides of the political spectrum feel that way. And we have to be prepared to stand up and teach our children, most of all, at home uh, what our own beliefs are and why and ask them to question everything because it's going to be up to the next generation to not just fall for rhetoric. And we have to do that by teaching at home, not school. That's great. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, I'm not sure I will ever get over losing my loved one. I think that's a, an understandable statement. I think that our one of the best things we can do is to live with joy and gratitude. I think that makes us most resilient to evil and the devil is to have joy in God. And so my thing is that we have to compartmentalize it. We don't have to expect that it, it uh, ever goes totally away, but compartmentalize it so it doesn't steal your joy every day. All right. Just a few left. What would you say to someone that said, I am proud to be an American. 
I understand. And I think it's great. And I think we do have the best country in the world and we need to find a way to preserve what makes us great and be careful not to change it so much that we don't recognize what made us great in the first place. All right. What would you say to someone that said you are an inspiration? I would say thank you. I appreciate it. It makes me feel good to help people. And I hope that I can do things to make the world a better place or just make life easier for people. And I would say that really all the glory is to God because I pray to him to to use me. And so if there's something good coming out of it, it has to be from him. Well, you certainly are an inspiration to a lot of us, myself included. Last question of the day. What would you say to someone that said the Kyle family legacy will be one of honor, duty, patriotism, and resilience? I would just say thank you. I just thank you. I appreciate that. And I, it's the best we can ask for. All right. Well, Taya, uh, we spanned it over two conversations, but I think it turned out really, really well, but that is officially all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I just think it's so cool that you are having a podcast. Number one, I, like I told you, I think you're so good at this. And I think it's cool that you're um, able to provide a, a platform where guys who are faithful and can still be rugged and men and uh, come to be inspired. I just, I, I love the concept of your show. I think it's awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Taya Kyle, thanks again for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you. All right, guys, there you go. That wraps up our two-part series, our two-part interview that we did with Taya Kyle. And again, just listening through that episode, even when I was editing the episode together, I was just so happy with how everything turned out. Because again, you never know how interviews are going to go. You you never know if they're going to be interesting to talk to. You never know if they're going to hold back. And I was just so thrilled that she was able to go into the subject matters that she did with strength, with resilience, with intellect. And man, I'm, I'm just, I'm on cloud nine. I thought that this went really, really well. I know that when I told a lot of you guys that we were going to have Taya Kyle on the podcast, that you had high expectations. So I certainly hope that we met and exceeded those expectations. But before we let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing you content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, I've got the same links as we had for the last episode. I've got Taya Kyle's website. I also have a link to all of Taya and Chris Kyle's books, a link to the Taya and Chris Kyle Foundation, and then also the Warrior Collections jewelry line. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the rest of 2021. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your business, at your team, just hit me up. Info at undaunted.life. The email is info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. I need